the volume. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. I bet on FanDuel as often and as comfortably as I possibly can. It is America's number one sports book. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. There are fast payouts in as quick as two hours. So many bet types. Same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures, and so much more. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. Another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. First podcast of this new year, and we have a good one. Dan Rayfield, longtime boxing writer, works now at World Boxing News, has his own newsletter over at Substack. He's here, and we run through all the news of the last couple of weeks. What's ahead for Canelo, for Ryan Garcia, all the big-name fighters that are now looking for their first fights of 2022 a little bit later on jake paul the former youtuber turned boxer very polarizing guy jake but he's also had a pretty big impact on boxing i talked to jake about what his 2021 was like and what he hopes 2022 looks like moving forward as always best way to support this podcast get over to apple podcast post a comment leave a rating it's simple it's easy it's free the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week that's it all right, on to the show. All right, Dan Rayfield, 
is here. Longtime boxing writer, World Boxing News, ringtv.com. You can read Dan Daly on his Substack. Subscribe to that, all boxing fans. Should be daily, weekly, monthly readers, what have you. Dan, what's up, man? Happy New Year. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. I said, uh, I said to your producer, Adam, I said, if I'm the first guest of the new year, that's quite an honor. I wonder if there was any extra special pay involved in today's appearance. We will uh, happily send you a uh, a volume T-shirt, okay? Well, oh, a volume hat. Can't, can't wait. Volume coming your way. A uh, lot to get into here, Dan, as we start the new year. Uh, boxing, uh, nothing, not, nothing heavy in January. You got Joe Smith Jr. coming back, uh, fighting Callum Johnson in a pretty big fight. But then the schedule picks up in February, March, April. I want to go through a couple things, but I want to start at the top, Dan, and that's with Canelo Alvarez, the pound-for-pound pound king, who uh, said in you know when he won his last fight a couple of months ago that he would make a decision on his next fight in January. So here we are in January, and Canelo, who was at the New Year's Day show that was headlined by Luis Ortiz and Charles Martin, had this to say about his future. I don't care. I don't care, really. <laughs> Whatever Eddie wants, I'm ready. I'm ready for everything, so I don't care. I, I really don't thinking about it. I just want to fight the best, and, and that's it, and make history. I, I don't care who is there. I'm, I'm ready for, for everyone. So Canelo not really showing his cards uh, there, Dan, as far as what he's got coming next. But as you kind of assess the landscape uh, for Canelo, what do you think is the most likely scenario for him when he gets back in the ring? Well, I saw the interview on that pay-per-view that you referenced uh, with Ray Flores. And a couple of weeks before that pay-per-view, I had spoken to Canelo one-on-one uh, -on, -one on, a, on a Zoom call uh, because I was writing the story about him being the Ring Magazine's uh, 2021 Fighter of the Year. And other than his thoughts about that, we did discuss for some other stories that I wrote for World Boxing News and also for my own newsletter that, you know, other stuff related to his, his possible move to cruiserweight uh, possibly, you know, going to light heavyweight, other fighters, you know, in the super middleweight or middleweight division coming up to him. The point is, he was steadfast in what he said, and it is whatever Eddie Reynoso wants. Because what he told me was that when Eddie went to the WBC convention and uh, stood up in front of everybody and asked for the approval for Canelo to fight Macabu for the WBC's cruiserweight title, and the entire audience that was there gasped because it was such a shocking sort of request, uh, Canelo told me that he did not know that that was going to transpire prior to Eddie making that request, that it came as a surprise to him that he found out because Eddie later called him. And also because a lot of people on social media were sending him messages about it and showing him videos of Macaboo, et cetera. The point was, he said, whatever Eddie wants to do. And I quote, I'm his warrior. So I don't think Canelo uh, has given it. I'm sure he's thought about it, but not detailed thought about exactly who he wants to fight. He only knows he wants to make more boxing history. He wants to fight in May. He knows it might not be until June. But the point is, he's ready to go with whatever uh, Eddie, who is uh, his trainer and manager and, and you know, older brother figure, if you will, uh, to, to do what he wants. Eddie has guided him this far, and he's, he's rolling with who got him there. There's no reason to not trust Eddie Reynoso, who's got his best interest at heart, and they've been a great team. Could be cruiserweight. Could yeah, be light heavyweight. Yeah, so, so to me, Dan, there are 
three emerging options. Uh, one is, as you mentioned, Junior Makabu, who has to defend his title first, uh, supposedly at some point later this month that we'll see with Don King and you know, how, how that card comes off. Um, that's an option. Uh, PBC, it sounds like they're dangling Jamal Charlo. That's a fight that Eddie Reynoso has mentioned as being of interest to him. And Canelo doesn't really do a heck of a lock for me because Jamal Charlo's done nothing really for the last five years as he's been middleweight champion. Uh, the other option is Dimitri Bivol, who didn't really distinguish himself in his last fight, but he does have a light heavyweight belt, and that could be the start of a run at 175 pounds. I don't know how to handicap it right now, Dan. I really don't. I mean, you know, could the cruiserweight fight happen? Sure. I mean, you could probably get zone to buy it, and you could do it wherever you want, and it would give him uh, another title in a fifth weight division. Uh, does he want to stay with PBC, fight Charlo? I don't know. Does he want to stay at light heavyweight? So I guess, I, I mean, can you handicap them at all? Like, do you, do you have a odds-on favorite right now for Canelo? I really don't because, as you said, they've kept their uh, their, I don't even think it's that they're keeping their cards close to their vest. I don't think it's like they're trying to be secretive about it. I just don't think that they know. Uh, you know, he did say that he would sit with his team in January. We're like a few days into January. So, but you know, that I wouldn't expect that was going to happen on New Year's Day. So, you know, there's still probably, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, I would hope they will get together and have that, uh, that more serious conversation. Um, so in terms of handicapping it, you know, I think it's going to come down to what is, you know, they'll say to Canelo their opinions, and he'll, he'll say what he wants. I think if he has his way, he'll be kind of tugged by the notion of the historical element of a cruiserweight title in a fight that's probably makeable. You know, if you take all the things into consideration of putting these events on, if you ask me, and, and, and the choices are either, and, you know, I know there's other things that are possible, but if it was the three choices presented were, and, and financially it's all similar, and, you know, all the other elements of an event are similar, and the, and the options were Macabu for the cruiserweight title, um, fighting Bivol for the light heavyweight belt that he has, or defending the super middleweight belt against Charlo, I'd go for Macabu. It's historical. It's a fifth division. It's another weight class. It's a big, strong southpaw who's a much bigger guy. Like you said, Charlo, I like Charlo as a fighter, but he hasn't done anything to earn a fight with uh, Canelo Alvarez. You know, let's see him battle one of the other top guys to earn that shot. And Bivol... Very talented fighter. I mean, honestly, I was watching the Salomov fight, and and you know, I wanted to get my money back from the zone for that month for making me watch that. I mean, <laughs> it was one of the most boring things I ever saw in my life. So, you know, the Bivol has looked terrible in his last couple of fights. I mean, he didn't look terrible from the standpoint that he didn't that he that he that he somehow struggled or didn't win. He won every second of the fight, but it was you know it was a steaming pile of crap if you be honest with it. And before that, Craig Richards, uh, uh, just a regular fighter from the UK, you know, gave his best effort, but was outclassed. But it was much closer than it should have been. Um, why am I excited to see Bivol fight Canelo? I'm not at all. So, you know, there's the element of the unknown with Macabu. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with him. I've watched him many times. But again, he's big, he's strong, he's left-handed. And the most important thing, if you talk to Canelo, is something that drives him to motivate him to get up you know, and, and really put the work in. Uh, he's a motivated guy anyway, but the element of the history of becoming a WBC cruiserweight champion is a big deal. And fans can knock it. They can poo-poo it. They can say, who's this guy? Um, that's fine. But if, if my choices are Canelo versus Macabu or against uh, 
Charlotte or against Bebo, I'm taking Maccabo all day long in that particular three choices. Yeah, you know what's unfortunate is that Golovkin's fight against Murata was rescheduled because if Golovkin had looked really good in that fight against Murata, had become a unified champion at 160, I mean, who knows with these two, but that might have been enough to get Canelo to agree to face him uh, for the third time. And that, despite what, you know, the hardcore boxing fans feel, that is still the most marketable fight you can make. Oh, Canelo out. no doubt about it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed to a third fight between Canelo and, and Golovkin, not whatsoever. But I don't, like, let it control my life like some people do. I mean, if that happens, fine. I've seen it twice. They were terrific fights. I, I feel for Triple G because, like everybody, I thought he, uh, you know, got a raw deal in the first fight. I know Canelo got the win in the second fight. Many of us at ringside that night, myself included, thought that was a draw. But the point is, you know, he he fought him two times and he moved on and he's been doing lots of good things since then. And ever since that fight, Golovkin has really fallen off. You know, he's the oldest uh, world title holder in the sport today at 39, not getting any younger, obviously. He's going to be a 40 soon and hasn't looked particularly devastating or great in his last, you know, few fights. A lot of people thought he lost to Devonchenko. <clears throat> and so, but because of the the, the rivalry that two, these two guys have, and even more significant in some ways because of how good those fights were. Of course, there's going to be people that would want to see them do it a third time. And again, when I made my pronouncement, I'll take Macaboo, that was given the choices of Macaboo, uh, Charlo, you know, or Bebo. But if you throw uh, a Triple G into that equation, you know, let's do it. Yeah, look, Bebo's got to be kicking himself too. That, I mean, if he had gone out and just dispatched Salomov in the way he should have, would have a stronger case to be made that he should be the guy to face Canelo. Instead, he just that was a horrible fight. Horrible. Horrible. I mean, I was having flashbacks of watching some Rigando fights, to be honest. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know what's ha what what has happened to Bevel. Like when he was on HBO, like he was knocking everybody out, and it's not like his level of competition has gone up since then. Like he's going no, his distance. Level, it's gone down. Besides Joe Smith, like Joe Smith was a step up, um, but Lennon Castillo and Craig Richards and now Salomov, like these are not high-level yeah. guys, and he's going the distance with them. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's boredom. I don't know if he's the type of fighter that needs something to get him up more to, to fight to the level of his opposition. There are fighters who, when they get in the ring, uh, if they're fighting an elite fighter, uh, they're going to rise to the occasion and, and do well against them. There's others that if they know that they're not in with, you know, uh, one of the best guys in the in the division, that it's going to somehow diminish their uh, performance, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Bivol is in that situation mentally. Um, if that's the case, you know, that's, that's his fault to be quite honest. You know, it's up to him to look boxing. It's a sport, but it's also entertainment. And at some point, if you're the athlete and you're, and you're out there doing interviews and begging for certain fights, you have to give the people a reason to demand the fight. And Bivol, again, talented fighter. I have nothing bad to say. Nice guy. I've interviewed him. I've been around him. I know you have, of course, with your uh, assignments on zone. I mean, just a, just a, uh, seems like a very good dude. No doubt about it. But he ha hasn't given us any reason as fans to say, oh, I have to see Bevel against, you know, Canelo or against this guy or against that guy. I mean, honestly, I'd rather see if, if Canelo is going to fight at light heavyweight, you know, the fight to make is him against either better be or Joe Smith, you know, depending on how Joe's fight goes next week and better be of obviously he's going to be out for a few months with it, just the horrendous cuts that he suffered against Marcus Brown a few weeks ago. But, but that that's a real fight. I mean, in terms of uh, competition, number one, but also from uh, a fan, something that fans would be interested in because you know, it's going to probably be a good fight. So if you tell me Canelo wants to fight Joe Smith, 
great. I actually just I talked to Joe Smith this week for a piece I'm doing for the Rings website in advance of that fight. And uh, while Joe's not the type of guy that's looking ahead, you know, he, he would love to put his, his name in that Canelo sweepstakes, you know, and he's very, very open about it. He's like, of course, it's huge money, but, and, and I'm not going to complain about that. I want to make a lot of money, but also it's the notion that I get, I would get the opportunity to fight the pound for pound King. He's not shy about calling Canelo number one pound for pound. And, and he says, I'm a, I'm an athlete, I'm a competitor. And uh, not only do I want to make a lot of money, but I'm paraphrasing, but I want to fight the best guys and Canelo's the best guy. And if he's going to be a light heavyweight, you know, come fight me for my belt. So yeah, good options at light heavyweight. And it would be fun to see Canelo go from undisputed at 168 to undisputed at 175. You talk about legacy. That would be a real legacy defining uh, accomplishment. All right, let's move on and move down to the lightweight division where George Cambosis, the four belt champion is sifting through options Right now, and once again, Dan, I think we're looking at three realistic options for Cambosis to defend his titles. That being Devin Haney, Vasily Lomachenko, and Tank Davis. So I've talked to people in Cambosis' camp the last few days. They haven't really gotten too deep into it at this point, but they certainly will in the next couple of weeks. I saw Peter Kahn was at the top rank office. Peter Kahn, Cambosis' manager with the top rank office with Xander Zayas. I'm sure the subject of Cambosis Lomachenko came up at some point during uh, that visit. But for what I've been told, Dan, the two non-negotiables, as I use air quotes on that, are a rematch clause and the fight being in Australia. So if you take that into account, um, how do you handicap the next opponent for George Cambosis? I mean, they're all good options. First and foremost, if you're a fan, I think anybody that's interested would be happy to watch any of those fights. Uh, you know, I certainly would be perfectly happy seeing them against any of those guys. Um, but if I'm handicapping it, um, I, I, I don't see Tank Davis as the option in the next fight. I'm not saying that Tank is somehow avoiding him or doesn't want to fight him or it can't be made. I just, timing wise, I just don't see that happening. And I frankly, based on the way Tank's business side of his career has been going. I don't see him packing up and going to fight him in Australia, not because he's afraid, but it just, it just doesn't make sense for a whole lot of different reasons. They got their plan. They're doing their thing. And while that fight may happen in the future, I just don't, I would handicap that and make that definitely the last of those three options that you mentioned. Um, the other two, you know, I guess if, if, if I had to pick, I mean, you know, I don't think Lomachenko or Haney are going to, are going to be somehow fearful of fighting him in Australia. Lomachenko, you know, has fought his whole career on the road, basically. So, you know, for him to fight in Australia would be no big deal. Um, Devin Haney is, you know, unless he's just straight lying, has said uh, numerous times that he'd be happy to go on the road. Just let's make the fight. You, you were there interviewing the two of them together, uh, you know, following uh, Devin's victory over Jojo Diaz. And he certainly didn't have any objection or, you know, um, the body language didn't indicate anything negative towards the possibility of packing his bags and traveling. So I think that that, that element is okay as, as long as the broadcaster in America is okay with it. Um, being honest, I'd like to see him fight Devin Haney, given the choice between the two. And the reason is very simple. Uh, well, one, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly straightforward, easy fight to make all things considered. Not that the Lomachenko fights certainly, uh, you know, super complicated, but I want the WBC situation clarified. I want it cleaned up. I want one WBC champion, you know, all due respect to, you know, uh, my friend Mauricio Suleiman, uh, you know, but in that particular issue, we can't, you know, agree if the if the sky is blue or the grass is green. You know, it's just time to, uh, you know, this franchise thing is annoyed me like a thorn or, a, you know, a, 
a splinter in my finger for, you know, since they created this thing. But more importantly, the two fighters seemed interested to fight each other. Um, clash of styles. Uh, they both talk a good game. You know, again, nothing wrong with Loma, nothing wrong with the tank fight. That's the beauty of the lightweight division, Chris, is you can take, you know, any number of these guys, whether it's the three we've mentioned, you know, and Isaac Cruz coming off even a close loss to Tank. Obviously, Ryan Garcia is there. Um, you know, I'm not saying Tiafimo Lopez's name because he's going to move up to the 140-pound division. But the point is, you got a lot of good guys at the top of the food chain in that weight class. You even have other fighters that are interesting, maybe that aren't as well-known. And Michelle Rivera, for example. There's there's good talent in that division. George Kambosas is the king of the division right now. He can pick and choose who he wants to fight. It's but uh, little- if he picks, <laughs> I hope he fights Haney. It's a little dangerous if you're Cambosis to not take one of the offers that's on the table for a big fight because you never know what could happen. Like you bring in a lesser no. guy and you get beat and all that money. We've seen it a million times, right? Where that money just evaporates. The bottom line is whatever the whatever the choices are presented to him, he should take, you know, all things being equal, take the most money. I mean, that's I mean that that's I mean, it may sound um like that's what you what they should do, but sometimes you know, guys don't think like that. But of course, if all things equal, you're going to get your fight at home. You're going to get your rematch clause and you're going to make the biggest payday. So if there's an offer for, and I'm making up the numbers, you're going to make, you know, $4 million to fight Lomachenko or $5 million to fight Devin Haney and everything else is equal. Why aren't you taking Haney or, or vice versa? If it's the bigger paycheck for the Loma fight or, or, uh, or somebody else, even take the money, man. I mean, George is a, is a, is a, is a quality fighter. He's got a young family. You know, he's got the opportunity to make the biggest fight of his career, to do it at home. And, you know, if, if he should lose, he would have that rematch clause in his back pocket. I'm curious, Dan, I'm curious to see if he actually gets the rematch clause. Like it, like I said, it was presented to me as a non-negotiable, but like. Everything know, is negotiable. High in the sky a little bit for George Cambosis to get a rematch clause. What I, what I can see, though, and this is why I see Haney as being the most realistic option, both for the fight itself and if you're matchroom and DAZN, you could present Cambosis with like, and I'm just making this up, like a three-fight deal where he fights Haney, he gets a comeback fight, and then he gets Ryan Garcia or somebody of that ilk. They they've got some strength on, you know, on the matchroom you know, Golden listen, Boy side. I'd like. But top, top rank and ESPN could do the same thing. You can give him a moment if you don't give him a rematch plus. They have other fighters in those weight classes. Well, what do you have, have at 135 that's really appealing? At 130, yes, but at 135. I don't know. Like, they, have, they have guys who are coming up. Burchelt, for example, they give Burchelt. They could give him if Oscar Valdez moves up in weight. Shakur Stevenson could move up in weight. I'm just saying those are guys that are going to be in those weight classes. That I agree with you that there's there's uh, good options if he was going to do something with Eddie and DeZone. And I'm not advocating for either one. I'm just saying that there, are, if Top Rank wanted to play that game, they have guys and and other fights that they can offer him also uh, in lieu of a straight rematch clause. Uh, they are, they are the two promotion outfits that are blessed to have, you know, a good quality uh, batch of fighters who fight, you know, anywhere from, you know, 130 to 140. Yeah, yeah he does. I mean, it'll be interesting how they decide and what they get, but he's definitely in for a big payday uh, one way or the other. All right. He deserves Yeah, he does. He absolutely does. He won a big fight and he should cash in 100%. Uh, let's move on to Demetrius Andrade, who is once again facing bad options. <laughs> Andrade has been ordered... <laughs> Uh, to face his mandatory, uh, as mandatory as Janabek Ali Hamole. I'm going to try to not butcher that name. I just said it over on the zone. I, I, just, call, I just call him Janabek. Yeah, Janabek. Let's go with Janabek uh, right now. Um, who's, you know, a good fighter, you know, decorated amateur, has a couple of wins over ex-title holders in Asan Nadam and Rob Brandt, yada, yada, yada. 
but it's not a big fight. And Andrade has been chasing big fights. Uh, I've been told that there have been some preliminary discussions between top rank and Eddie Hearn about making that fight. They have until, I think, what is it, January 20th to make a deal or else there's going to be a purse bid. Like, if I'm Demetrius Andrade, Dan, I've got to be... Cut to the chase. That fight's not happening. You, you and I both so? know that. No, it's not happening. Okay. It's not happening. Now, not? maybe I'll be wrong. Something will change between now and then or there'll be some kind of crazy amount of money that will be put forth to make the match. Uh, I believe that he will not fight Janibek. He will go to 168. Perhaps, you know, look, under the rules of the WBO, he's perfectly entitled the same way Lomachenko did it, the same way Terrence Crawford did it, the same way Canelo Alvarez did it, et cetera, to go to them and say, I'm going to be, I want to be the number one contender in the super middleweight division um, because he's the champion in their middleweight division and, and go and try his situation there. Um, I just don't see him fighting Janibek for a lot of different reasons. He, again, Janibek's a good fighter and he's real dangerous in my mind. Um, he brings danger and no, there, there's, even if he wins, you don't get a boost out of it really. It's just another guy that you beat to most people. And if you lose, it's a freaking disaster. Um, and more significantly, it's not a huge money fight. So there's, you know, he's, he's done his thing at 60. He's tried to get good guys in the ring. He's beaten, you know, the second tier, let's say, the, the Seleskis and the, you know, Liam Williams and, and, and fighters along those lines, uh, you know, good fighters, but not at the elite level necessarily. You know, if he wants to, he's going to have to really press the issue. And if you want to do that, press the issue by making yourself the mandatory in the super middleweight division, which means Canelo is in your crosshairs or he'll have to vacate and you fight the next guy. So I just don't believe at all that that, that fight with uh, Janibek is going to happen. You're right, but you know as well as I do that the WBO is not going to rush to make a Canelo-Andrade fight or order. No, no, I'm not saying they're going to order the fight tomorrow, especially because Canelo is a, a, a unified champion and they would use the rotation system. I'd have to go look and see who's next up. All right, and- so, but Dan, what, what does he do if he goes to 168 in the immediate future? What does he do? Because in, as I look at the landscape, he kind of runs into the same problems he's got at 160 where you've got a bunch of PBC guys that probably aren't going to fight you. I mean, Caleb Plant is not going to fight you. Uh, David Benavidez has a fight on the books against David Lemieux coming up. Uh, I, I just don't know who he, who's marketable up there for him 168 right now. But it's the same problem he has at 160. Well, hear so me like, out. Hear me out on this one, Dan. Like, hear me on, on, okay. on why I think he you should look, take this fight. Oh, before you get there, we'll agree on this. He doesn't really have a lot of good options, whether he's at 160 or at 168. No, right? he doesn't. Fair he enough. doesn't. But, yeah. but hear me out on 160 here because I think he beats Janibek. I, I've watched him. He's good. I think Andre's really good. And I think Janibek would have a lot of problems with with Andrade, like a lot of fighters have a lot of problems with Andrade. Let's say he beats Janibek. Um, I, I think I'd like to see him kind of take one more run at getting someone at 160 to get in the ring with him. Like Jaime Munguia, he's got to do something, right? At some point, I mean, he's now four fights into his middleweight run. He is, I guess, penciled in at the moment to face Demetrius Ballard. I, I don't, I don't know what that fight gets him. Like Ballard looked terrible in his last time out, and. That's just another kind of stay busy fight while they just plead with Golovkin to to fight him at some point uh, in the middle of next year. And then maybe Charlo doesn't get the Canelo fight and maybe we can revisit that or we got we got so many maybes here. I've lost track of the maybes, baby. You're right. No, you're I, right. But like, I don't did. I don't know what you go up to 168. And you're kind of doing the same thing. You're looking around. You got an empty room at 160 with nobody wanted to fight. You go up to 168 and like. 
Who's up there? You know, if he goes, if he goes to 168 and he asks the WBO to be the mandatory, which they will appoint him as based on their rules. And as I mentioned, what they've done time and again for other, other champions moving up, um, Oscar Valdez, uh, you know, opted for the WBC title, but he could have had the same situation, uh, you know, in the WBO. I mean, all these guys that have done that. So he can make himself the mandatory in that division. And then, he, then the ball is in Canelo's court. If Canelo decides to defend against him, that's a big fight for Andre, obviously. If Canelo doesn't and vacates, now I'm not saying that Canelo is somehow scared to fight Andre, but Andre's talking point would be, hey, I was Canelo Alvarez's manager and he didn't, he didn't fight me. He gave up the title to avoid me. You know, there's some uh, currency in that a little bit and he would get to fight for another title. I just, I just uh, believe that, that Janabek is a dangerous enough opponent who brings so little to the table from a recognition standpoint and from a financial standpoint that it just, if I was his, if I was Demetrius Andrade's manager, you know, if I morphed into Ed Ferris tomorrow, I'd be like, we're not fighting this guy unless the offer is obscene. Mm. We got better things to do. And again, I have huge respect for Andre's talent, but he's not getting any younger. And you don't take on that kind of dangerous guy for short money when you don't have to. That's just the bottom line. You go to the higher weight class and you make your noise there. Do you, think, handle Dan, it. Do you think it's a bad look for Canelo if he picks Charlo over Andre in this next fight? Because like you, if you want to kind of connect some dots here like Canelo has and look I'll never say Canelo ducks anybody never does the guy fights everybody and is fearless in the ring but you know Demetrius Andrade was a title holder at 154 with the WBO belt he gave up that belt to go up to 160 Canelo dropped back down to fight Liam Smith who won that title um as I believe was a vacant belt uh, at the time uh, at 160, there have been numerous opportunities in the last three years to face Demetrius Andre. It's a very makeable fight, or was a very makeable fight at the time for Canelo. He didn't do it. And so if he picks Charlo, who has as flimsy a middleweight resume as Demetrius Andrade has, like, what does that say? I I mean, say does that mean, I mean, that that is not, in my mind, the best look. Listen, I think Andre's resume at middleweight is better than Charlo's, if you ask me. I, mean, I'm not I would saying... agree. I was trying to like, I was just trying to kind of, you know, because people always accuse me of being pro Andre and pro Charlo. I'm not or anti Charles. I'm not. I just want to see the damn fight. When you bring that up, all I think about is being there uh, in uh, in uh, the press conference after his victory against Billy Joe Saunders when Andre sort of crashed things and 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 and, and what their back and forth was. So I, I don't want to curse and I don't want to horrible you know, fighter, uh, horrible fighter. Hey, you, you get, get the F out of here. You know, who you, who do you fight payday, with? Payday, payday. But everybody's looking for a payday with Canelo. Like of that's course. every single guy that gets in the ring with them. The cruiserweight is going to be looking for it. Dimitri Bevel is going to be looking for it. Everybody wants it. I'd be perfectly happy if Canelo for two things, I'd like to see Andre get a big opportunity. He's, you know, I'm not saying he's like, you know, he's finished as a fighter, but he's, he's closing on, on the end of his prime years. 34, without I believe. Birth. Say again. He's 34, I believe. Yeah whatever the age is, but he has not had that big defining fight. And, you know, I've made the point that what he needs, you know, he, re and, and I, I, maybe I'm dating myself as far as how far I go back and covering boxing. He reminds me so much of the plight of Winky Wright, who was in his same, you know, was a middleweight and a junior middleweight. Um, I covered all of the, of Winky's career and just know the struggles that he went through where he was a guy that was this, this tremendous boxer, Without a big fan following, uh, you know, with a with a southpaw style that wasn't always the most exciting, not a big knockout puncher, um, good personality, but not not over the top, 
and, and just could not get the uh, top guys to fight him. And finally, Shane Mosley, who was the, one of the pound-for-pound pound best in boxing at that time, a popular fighter with a decent fan following, finally was like, you know what, I'll fight the guy. He, you know, they were going to fight for the undisputed title at junior middleweight back when it was three belts that made it undisputed. And he gave him the fight. And I always respected Shane for that. And he lost the fight fair and square. And they fought him again in the rematch because he had a rematch clause and he exercised the option. And Winky beat him again. And it was because Shane Mosley gave him that fight that it put Winky on the run he went on. So he beat Shane twice. He beat, you know, other good fighters. He beat Felix Trinidad in a devastating, you know, one-sided performance. And at the end of the day, Winky Wright wound up in the Hall of Fame. And it's all because Shane Mosley gave him the opportunity. And I would, I'm not saying that he would beat Canelo Alvarez or anything like that. What I'm saying is I wish there was a fighter out there of a star level like a Shane Mosley was to Winky Wright that was of that way to Demetrius Andre and at least give him the opportunity. If he loses, so be it. If he wins, you know what? You did the right thing and you probably get the rematch anyway. Uh, and like you said, Canelo is not afraid of the fight, guys. I would like to see him fight that fighter. I'd like to see Canelo versus Andre. I don't think Andre is a boring fighter like people say. And I'll say this, and again, I'm not on Demetrius's payroll. I don't have a stake in this. I have no dog in the hunt. But I'm going to say this, all those people out there that say how boring Demetrius Andre is or he doesn't do this or he doesn't do that, all I know is this. Go look at his last probably six fights, let's say, and you called a bunch of them on his own, so you might have a, a better uh, memory than I do on it. How many guys did he – He's first of all, he's got some knockouts in there. Uh, number two, he's got like 11 knockdowns, something like that, over the course of his last several fights when he won the middleweight belt against Conan Dockway, dropped him like four times, mm -hmm. dropped Seleski, uh Luke Keeler, you know, he's dropped Keeler um, coming off, uh, you know, against Quigley, who we looked, uh, you know, scored a, a legit knockout against and had him down. I mean, so I'm not sure what he's got. To, and he's got a good personality. Like, you know, he'll, he can he can talk like he did when he came into Canelo's press conference. So, you know, to me, he deserves the opportunity and I'd like to see Canelo give it to him. I'm not saying he's going to. But if you go to super middleweight and you and you at least force the issue to some as best as you can as the mandatory. You never know. Maybe Canelo will take him up on it. I mean, it doesn't look like that, but what 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 what's what do you have to lose? Nothing. If he's not fighting you now and you become the mandatory and he still doesn't fight you, at least you make him vacate the title. You still get the fight for the next belt. By the way, he's not unbeatable. <laughs> like he's a good fighter. Not. He's vulnerable. Like he's he's vulnerable. Like I look at Jaime Munguia. The Munguia I've seen the last couple of fights, high volume puncher, excellent chin. Good chance to beat him. Like I I don't this is not like a guy, like, Winky Wright was really tough to beat in his prime. Like, he was just unorthodox, and he could, he, he, he just made it ugly in there at times. Demetrius Andrade is very beatable. You've seen guys uh, hurt him. Uh, Liam Williams hurt him during a, a recent fight, and he doesn't throw a ton of punches. So, if you can outvolume him, you got a chance to win a decision. So, I don't, I think guys should be eager to get in the ring with him and collect a big paycheck and a middleweight title along the way. All right, let's uh, go back to lightweight for a second, Dan. Talk about Ryan Garcia. Specifically, a matchup between Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis. Uh, Eric Gomez was on this podcast last week. He kind of detailed his version of the negotiations between uh, Garcia and Tank, which basically amounts to that there were talks. Then Ryan had his mental health issues. He had his injury issues. And those talks uh, were basically dormant. From there, it does sound like both sides are interested in this fight. Now, there are obstacles that need to be overcome. Most specifically, how do you do a pay-per-view type of deal? Like, how does that work between 
DAZN, which is, as you've reported, very close to finalizing a new deal with Golden Boy and Javante Davis, who has a deal or is fighting uh, exclusively at this point uh, on Showtime. But so when you look at the landscape and how it is, like how optimistic are you that we'll see Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis this year? I know from talking to Ryan uh, just in the last you know week or so uh, extensively that he really wants that fight. And his look, it's not going to be next. His next fight is going to be April 2nd. Uh, and what he wants to do in that April 2nd fight is to fight Isaac Cruz. That's a fight that he desperately wants, and he's not shy about it. He says, I want that fight for different reasons. One, I think it's a good fight. Two, I think I win. And three, because I want guys in the media, boxing fans, I want them to compare my performance against Isaac Cruz against the performance that Gervonta Tank Davis had against Isaac Cruz. Tank won that fight, but it was very close. A lot of people thought that Tank lost the fight. Ryan himself told me, you know, that he had he knows what the what the fan reaction was, that he personally thought that Tank did win the fight by a round or two. But nonetheless, he feels like he, uh, by taking on Isaac Cruz and, and believes he'll put in a much better performance, will help raise the, the fan interest in making a fight between uh, Ryan and Tank. He says, I've been trying to build the fight between myself and Tank Davis now for the last you know, a year or so, maybe even longer. And that's the fight that he really wants. And that fighting Cruz would be a way to sort of move towards that, um, towards that situation. Uh, if you're Trevanta Davis, you know, who was, you know, becoming a, a, a significant, not becoming, he is a significant uh, economic power in the, in the sport at this moment with his regularity on pay-per-view and showtime behind him. And uh, also an ex- a very exciting fighter, obviously very talented. That's a, that's a terrific matchup. I would love to see that. A lot of people would make Ryan Garcia a heavy underdog in that fight. I was going, you know, in, in a nice way because he's my pal, Leonard Ellerby. We had our little back and forth on Twitter about that. I'm And I was making the point, I'm, I'm not picking Ryan to win or Tank to win. I'm just saying, I want to see it. I don't know who wins that fight. You know, you want to tell me you think Tank wins? Okay, no problem. You tell me that you think Ryan's got a good chance because of his height and his length and his power and his body work? You know, okay, I can, I can work with that also. So the bottom line is, don't, don't give me your nonsense about who who's going to win, how it's going to win. You know, you prove it when you get in the ring and the two fighters uh, do do battle. And uh, that's a very attractive, marketable fight. As far as the business side goes, um, you know, there's ways to make fights happen. Um, obviously, if you're doing Tank Davis against Ryan Garcia, it's going to be a pay-per-view. Now, my information is that in Ryan Garcia's promotional contract with Golden Boy, he does have an out from whatever his broadcaster is, if it's zone you know, streaming that he, he can do a pay-per-view. And so there would be a contractual way around that is my understanding. Um, maybe DAZN who has talked about the possibility of becoming involved in pay-per-view for the most special fights um, somehow is involved in a pay-per-view. I just know I want to see the fight. I don't care, you know, uh, no disrespect to you and your broadcast partners, but if, if it's the Showtime guys calling the fight, no problem. If it's you guys on DAZN calling the fight, no problem. Um, I just turned the volume down anyway. Let me see the fight. <laughs> as, as, as most people do. There we go. I, w- I would say this, Dan. Like, I mean, honestly, people think I care. Like, if Ryan Garcia fights Tank Davis, I'll either be sitting. It's just a difference of how many feet away from the ring I'll sit. I'll be at that fight one way or the other. It's simple as that. It's an excellent fight. If this fight doesn't happen, to me, it's because the promoters fucked it up. Because, like, I have yet to meet one fan, and I'm sure you're the same way, that gives a damn... Who, what network or what pay-per-view streaming, whatever, a fight is on. They don't. They want to see the actual fight and don't care who is calling it or what network it's being broadcast on as long as the actual fight is happening. Now, it's 
it's pretty basic. Dan, it it's pretty basic. You you can like I I've heard the same things about Ryan's contract. I do wonder if in the renegotiation with Golden Boy, if some of that got cleaned up. Because I can't and I don't have any direct insight into this, but I can't fathom the zone voluntarily giving up Ryan Garcia. Like he is a huge attraction for them. So I, I wonder about that. But you can make Joint pay-per-views. It works. works. It just happened with Fury Wilder. It's happened in previous fights in the past. They are, it's a doable thing. So I would love to see Gervonta, if he fights Raleigh Romero, whoever it may be in the first quarter of 2022, Ryan, Isak, Cruz, get together after that in a mid-summer, end of summer, maybe even as late as September fight between these two guys would be action-packed. And if you gotta involve two networks, do it. Just do it. Do whatever you have to do to make that fight happen. Tank Davis against Ryan Garcia is a huge fight for a lot of reasons. Number one, fans would flock to it because it's an exciting fight in the ring. Southern period. California, sold out crowd, wherever it may be. Las Vegas, sold out crowd. I mean, honestly, you put it in New York, sold out. It doesn't matter. It's the kind of fight where you pick pick a boxing hotbed or a place where there's a lot of fights. You know what? You put that fight in London, the fight would sell out. It doesn't make a difference where you put the fight, it's going to sell out. And they both have divergent fan bases. You know, it, they, they, they attract the different, different crowds from each other is in addition to the diehard boxing fans. You know, uh, my old pal Mark Taffet from HBO days once told me when we were talking pay-per-view business, talked about how certain fights attract certain audiences. But when you take two fighters, and, he, and he, we were specifically talking, I think it must have been around the De La Hoya Mayweather fight why that fight did the kind of businesses it did. Remember at that time, before Mayweather fought uh, Pacquiao and Conor McGregor, for a long time, uh, Mayweather versus uh, De La Hoya was the number one selling pay-per-view ever. And why was that? Because they were both big names. Now, neither guy, Tank Davis or Ryan Garcia, is as big as Floyd and Oscar uh, you know, were at that time. But here's the point, though. Because they both drew from different fan bases, it, and, and they were popular figures in mainstream to a degree, it mined those fans across the mainstream, wide and far. It also went very deep into their most ardent fan bases. You know, a lot of the black fans, the urban fans with, with Mayweather and the Latino fans that were diehards for Oscar, deep, deep, deep into those particular groups, as well as far and wide of just casual fans. Ryan uh, and Tank is like De La Hoya Mayweather light. I don't think it doesn't do that kind of business, obviously but they will mine from those same groups of people and go far and wide. It's a can't miss economic blockbuster for everybody involved. And inside the boxing ring, it's probably a damn good fight. Um, and I think that Ryan Garcia has no problem doing Tank Davis fight. He, I know I talked to him for 35 minutes a few days ago, and he spent a lot of time talking about how much he wants that fight. And by the way, you know, Javante Davis, I don't believe that for two seconds, he's not scared to fight anybody. This is a dude that'll fight whoever. You know, he's been fighting the guys that Mayweather Promotions lines up for him. Uh, him and Ryan Garcia is a big-ass fight, period. End of story. Biggest fight in the division, one of the biggest fights in boxing. I agree. I agree. Um, and, and I, one of the reasons I have some cautious optimism is that if you're Mayweather Promotions, you kind of got to look at the last year as maybe something of a warning. Like, Gervonta Davis was, I mean, he was a close fight with Mario Barrios before he knocked him out. It was nip and tuck with Esau Cruz. You know, Raleigh Romero, if that's the guy he winds up fighting, whoever it may be. Like, the point is, Gervonta Davis is not unbeatable. And if he gets beat by someone like Barrios or Cruz or Romero, 
all of a sudden the value of a Ryan Garcia fight or a fight against anybody at 135 goes down. Not, doesn't bottom out. Like, losses don't destroy a guy, no question. But I would think that they would want to get him in a huge money fight before something like that happens. Before you potentially lose a fight that could cause your, that could take the shine off uh, a big fight like Ryan Garcia. I totally agree. The bottom line is that these guys are at a certain level where if they're fighting the ice and it's not just Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, this, this, we could use the argument, whether it's Andre and Charlo or it's, you know, Canelo versus better be ever, you know, pick a, pick a fight that you believe is a big fight. If the best guys fight each other, somebody obviously is going to lose unless it's some kind of draw or, you know, a no contest or something. If, as long as they both give their effort and make it a good fight, they don't lose when they lose on their record. I mean, maybe it steps them back a little bit uh, in terms of their next fight, a little less money, whatever. But in the long scheme of things, it doesn't destroy your career. Look, use Oscar De La Hoya as the example. Oscar lost some huge fights. When Oscar lost uh, certain fights, when he came back, he came back even bigger than ever. You know, after he lost to Bernard Hopkins, when he comes back and he fights Mayorga, it was uh, um, almost a million pay-per-view fight and he won another world title. He was never as popular then as he was after having been a superstar and lost in a fight and he was able to bounce back. Now that's the extreme example, but look at all the great fighters that have taken losses. Do you think that it diminished Manny Pacquiao because he lost to Juan Manuel Marquez or he lost even to Floyd Mayweather and it didn't diminish him at all. He was still a hugely popular fighter making tremendous, you know, huge amounts of money. Pick any of the, the stars. Did it damage Ricky Hatton's ability to connect with fans and make big purses after he lost to Floyd Mayweather, of course not. He got some big fights after that also. You go on right down the line. I mean, it's just the the notion that you can't lose a fight is so ridiculous. Now, if you go out there and you lose to a complete tomato can, that's a problem. But if you're losing to the best fighters in the sport, and if you're taking these guys and matching them up with each other, which is what we want to see, you know, take my money kind of events, um, there are no losers that you give the uh, the the public and the, and the boxing fans, what they are interested in, the fighters get what they say they want, which is to test themselves against the best. They make their biggest paydays, which in turn means that the arenas and the casinos and the promoters and the networks, they make their money and get their viewers and do all the things they need to do for their bottom line. I, I just don't understand why it doesn't happen more often. Um, but this is one of those fights where both guys seem like they want it. Uh, the, the fans want it. The press wants it. No network would turn it down. No arena would turn it down. You know, it, it just, it's, maybe I'm missing something, but it ain't, it ain't rocket science. Uh, if, if they can't make a deal because of any type of network issues, let's all go home. Like that's, let's yeah, I, I don't think that would be the case. I don't think because Showtime, you know, they have shown in the past that they have worked with HBO in uh, a, a two pay-per-views as well as when they had combined, or it wasn't a pay-per-view fight, but they did a, uh, uh, Klitschko versus Joshua together. Uh, Steven Espinoza, who runs Showtime Sports, is an open-minded guy and a, and a good business person and a lawyer himself and, and understands the business as well as anybody. Um, if he felt like, you know, this was a makeable fight, I do not believe that he was going to, uh, you know, he would be the impediment to to not allowing that fight to happen. And and and, and my experience in, in dealing with the folks at The Zone is that, uh, you know, they, I think, also believe that the, the rising tide, you know, lifts all ships. If you ever look at, like, The Zone's you know, Twitter feed, they don't just tweet about the zone fights. They, they tweet about boxing, you know, at large, whatever it is. I mean, whoever it is. So, you know, I think that's the right attitude. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying it gets done in, in, a, in two seconds and they're all going to sing songs and hold hands. 
But uh, I also don't believe it, it would be a situation where um, it would not be makeable. And if you look at the partners that, that the zone works with, which is mainly Golden Boy and, and Matchroom and Eddie Hearn, um, both of those outfits have shown a very, very open-minded nature to make fights with other promoters. Eddie has made fights with all kinds of promoters. Golden Boy has done the same, whether it's on the zone or you know, cross promotion, they've both made fights with top rank over the years. You know, the one that's been a little bit tougher to do it with has been PBC, but top rank, you know, may have cracked that code to a certain degree. They were able to make two fights between um, Tyson Fury and uh, and Deontay Wilder. They were not involved in the first fight. They were able to recently uh, do an event with uh, Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter. So, you know, it's like you said, Chris, when, when, when there's a fight that's out there and the fans want it, it doesn't mean shit. But if the fighters want it and the promoters want it, the fights get made. Yeah. I agree. I hope that fight ultimately gets made. I mean, Joe Markovsky was on this podcast a few weeks ago, and one of the things we talked about was how, you know, dipping your toe into pay-per-view, they hope, will help be a facilitator to making bigger fights. There are some fighters that want to be on pay-per-view. Uh, if DAZN is involved in it, maybe that can, you know, move the ball in that direction. All right, let's talk about some welterweights. One welterweight, actually. Actually, we got a couple welterweights. Let's start with Keith Thurman. Uh, at the top. Keith Thurman returns on February 5th against Mario Barrios. It is Thurman's first fight since losing to Manny Pacquiao in the summer of 2019. It's just his third fight since 2017, which is wild, Dan. Like this guy who was on top of the welterweight division in 2016 and 17 has fought three times uh, since then. Thurman's talked a big game about getting back on top of the 147-pound division. He's 33 years old. Do you think he can do it? You know, it's possible. I mean, you know, he he's not the kind of guy that's, you know, the, the reason for the layoffs, it's not like he was in jail. It's not like he was, you know, strung out on drugs or, you know, in a rehab facility for drinking too much or something like that. You know, by all accounts, he's taking care of himself. Um, it's because of injuries. He's, he's had problems mainly with his hand, uh, you know, with his, uh, I believe, his elbow. So, and those are things you just can't control. And then, you know, there, you know, in every sport, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, boxing, you name it, soccer, hockey, you know, you, you, if you're injured, you have to heal them. You have to get them better. You're, you're useless to yourself and to your team. In the case of boxing, it's an individual sport, but the point is he's had those issues. They're not fake. They're real. Um, I hope he's over them. If he is, then I think he can come back. My issue with, with Thurman, who I, I've known a long time, covered his whole career. I'm just not entirely sure how much desire he has to still be in the grind and, and be a truly active boxer. It's one thing to come back and grab a big payday uh, for a fight here and there and then disappear for eight or nine or 10 months or a year. Um, you know, I don't, I don't get the feeling from Keith that, and, and I hope he proves me wrong. If, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't get the feeling that his heart is in it to the level that it once was. Like, like a Canelo, for example, who still goes to the gym every day practically, you know, even you know, when he doesn't have a fight scheduled. Um, and is just living that life. Um, and, you know, Keith has made a lot of money. Keith has won a lot of big fights. And, you know, at, at this stage of his life and, you know, having gotten married and traveled the world and seen different places, you know, maybe boxing isn't number one on his priority list at this moment in time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if he puts his mind to it and, he, and it's something he truly wants uh, from a physical point of view and a, and a talent and muscle memory and all that, I don't see that why there's any reason why he can't still be uh, back near uh, the top of the welterweight division. You know, he's, he's already beaten some of those top guys. Um, he's, he's, he makes good fights and, and he's, he's a good, he's a very good fighter. So, uh, if, if he wants to put his mind to it, I think he can still do it, but I question whether he has the desire to do so. Yeah. I, I have the same questions <clears throat> and I, I remember being down at Thurman's training camp 
before his fight with Pacquiao down in St. Petersburg, uh, Dan Birmingham's gym. And I remember being around them for a few days. And look, he was working hard, but like you have been in these camps too, Dan. Like sometimes you're in a camp and it's like you can see a guy is like willing to go through hell to to get himself in the right condition. I just didn't, I didn't get that vibe off of Thurman kind of being around him uh, for, for those few days. He's got a look, Dan Birmingham is an excellent trainer. Keith Thurman is still a very good fighter at 33. And even with all those being said, he, he should be able to beat Amario Barrios, um, who I think is just okay, especially in his first fight moving up to welterweight. But then if you're looking at Spence Crawford, the two guys, he's probably going to be eyeballing, especially in the case of Crawford, like, the killer instinct is still there in those guys. The edge is still there uh, with those guys. And I don't know if Thurman can match that. I think Crawford, it feels to me like Crawford could be first up. I'm not sure we're going to get Spence Crawford before, you know, maybe the end of the year. You're going down the road. I was exactly thinking, which is if Errol Spence is going to be fighting Ugas come uh, the spring, which is what they're planning and what is going to happen. um, And Thurman is able to come out of the Barrios fight with a win and not be, uh, back on the injured list and Crawford, who is still a free agent is looking for a fight that's marketable. That's pay-per-view caliber. And, and at this point, frankly, Fox has shown a willingness to pretty much do whatever on pay-per-view. Um, Literally Crawford, Crawford versus Thurman on a pay-per-view basis. If, if, if Thurman is coming off of a, of a good performance and his comeback, that's an attractive fight. Again, I'm not saying it's doing a million buys, but if you're a boxing fan and, and you also believe that, or they tell you, frankly, straight out ahead of time that, you know, the winner of that fight is getting the shot at Spence. Because remember, you know, Errol Spence and Thurman have gone back and forth, you know, where he wouldn't give Errol the shot and then Errol was champion and he kind of looked the other way and wasn't interested in fighting Spence because he had other things to do. The point I'm making is if, if, if Errol or Ugas, frankly, whoever wins that fight, but more if it's Errol Spence, if he wins the fight against Ugas, now he's got three of the titles. And in the meantime, you can put together the attractive fight with Crawford and Thurman as a pay-per-view and say to your fans and to your to your people, hey, the winner of that fight, we're going to go later in the year for Undisputed. Now you got yourself a pretty big event, and it's, uh, it's a good fight. Thurman can talk. Crawford maybe hasn't always been the most media uh, and fan-friendly in terms of his personality, even though I think he's a good guy. Um, but he was a lot better in terms of, 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 of talking it up and getting it out there when he was getting ready to fight Sean Porter in the last fight. So that, that to me, that seems like a very reasonable and frankly doable path. Uh, Spence and Ugas come that, that March, April timeframe. Um, you have Keith Thurman fighting Barrios in February. Again, he's got to come out uninjured. Can he have a quick turnaround? Can he get back, you know, in say June, July, whatever summer fight with Crawford and then close the year with a big mega fight uh, between uh, the winners And that is my final question, Dan. Do you believe we will get Spence versus Crawford before the end of 2022? I'd like to hope yes, but if if I had to actually put money on it and and put up stakes, I would say no. Now, that said, I don't think that it means that it doesn't happen like this time, you know, like say the first quarter of the year after. I just think that sometimes, you know, things get played out in terms of the schedule. And it takes time to, to put these fights in the right spot. You know, I'm also skeptical of, uh, of you know, how often these guys are going to get into the ring. Um, but I do think we all know 
that it's the end game fight for both him, both fighters, at least in the welterweight division. Um, it, it makes sense. It's the biggest money for either guy. So if PBC is going to try to do some kind of business with uh, Terrence Crawford, I don't, they're not going to just do a one fight deal or even a two fight deal and put him in, you know, in the first fight with Spence, you do it, you know, they'll, they'll look to build it a little bit, even though you and I know it doesn't really need, you know, building at this point, it's what everybody's been asking for, for two years. Um, but, but the plan is there to put on some attractive fights to get to the point where you can have the fight for the undisputed welterweight championship of the world. And if, if, if what I just laid out uh, could happen and what you said that you like also, it makes perfect sense. They're all makeable fights. They're, they're, they're all doable. You know, I don't think the athletes are going to reject those matches as far as the competition. It all comes down to what, what's on the table financially and what, whether it's worth, whether they believe it's worth their time and effort from a, from a financial point of view, but from an athletic and a competition and an excitement point of view, who would not want to see that three fight plan I just mentioned? Oh, there's, there's nobody else. You know, if Spence fights Ugas and Crawford fights Thurman and both of them win, what the hell else would they do before the end of the year? Like, that's Nothing. that's it. Well, you're, you're stuck on the end of the year. I'm not talking about it. What, a you fight fixed... once? You, but you fight one time during the year? Like, I mean. It happens. I mean, that's the way these guys do it. Crawford fought one time last year, you know. Um, again, whether it's in the calendar year of 2022 or it's the first fight of either guy in 2023, I'm not interested in the in the calendar i'm interested that it's next after whatever they do coming up i mean but remember it would take what we're laying out would take thurman he would have to fight twice this year and he hasn't done that you know for a few years yeah that's unfortunate uh dan good stuff man you can subscribe to dan's news uh, newsletter you should it's over on substack follow dan on twitter at dan rayfield one good to catch up man we'll do it again all right, Chris, I appreciate it. Hopefully I'll see you at one of these big fights down the road, man, man. When we come back, my conversation with Jake Paul. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car Probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Juan Gabriel, Juanquis, Selena, Selena, Celia Cruz, Azúcar, Carol G, La Bichota, Cristina Aguilera, Extina, just to name a few. We're serving the whole story from rags to riches and all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free first bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING and you'll be able to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight will end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together. The bigger your parlay, the bigger your potential payout becomes. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. The app is just so easy to use, and when you win, you'll get paid in as little as just two hours. To place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with promo code BOXING and make every fight night mean more with the FanDuel Sportsbook app. All right, Jake Paul is here, undefeated boxer, just weeks removed from his knockout win over Tyron Woodley in a rematch of a summertime fight against Woodley. Jake finished the year at 3-0 and to run his record up to 5-0 and as a pro boxer. I recently wrote about Jake over at Sports Illustrated as our breakout boxer of the year. He is a polarizing guy. There's no doubt about it, but he has made a pretty significant impact on boxing. And Jake, I want to start there. Like, you start this year, and what were your expectations in January of 2021 about what this year would be like for you in boxing? Uh, not, not what they were, to, to be completely honest. You know, I knew I wanted to fight three times. That was my number one goal on my list. Uh, but to think, you know, how all the things that happened in, in the fashion that it all happened, it's just sort of mind-blowing. But that's what I worked for, you know, and I, I set big goals and big aspirations, and I just wanted to go into the ring and knock out every single person that I fought. So can you take me back to sort of how this boxing dream kind of started for you? I know your brother, of course, was the first guy to do it when he fought KSI a couple of years ago. But for you, how did jumping into the pro ranks take hold? We, um, yeah, we started at the same time. Uh, and Deji and I both fought on uh, that same night as well. And just fell in love with it. You know, when I beat Deji in Manchester in front of, you know, his home crowd, it was just the best feeling in the world. And then uh, just wanted to continue my career. And then when I TKO'd uh, Gibb in the first round of my first professional fight, I loved fighting with the 10 ounce gloves way better. And it was just an addicting feeling that I've never wanted to end or stop uh, since that moment. But boxing in general, 
Was it something you were always attracted to? Was there something that pushed you towards that sport above others? I, you know, I, I, in high school, stopped playing football just to focus on wrestling because I like, you know, the individual sport better because uh, I didn't have to rely on other people who maybe weren't working as hard as me. Uh, so I could just focus on myself. And I'm such a hard worker that I'm going to get a lot better and I can take matters into my own hands and control, uh, you know, really my training and how hard I go and the time and effort that I put into it. And so I think that's part of the reason I love boxing. And, you know, I've always uh, just been a fight fan. And in many ways, it's similar to wrestling. It's, it's wrestling, but you can punch people essentially, um, which is way more, way more fun. What do you remember about the first time you stepped into a boxing gym? Did it come naturally to you? Did it feel uncomfortable? What do you remember about that? Yeah, uh, it, it came naturally to me. I remember the first thing that the coach had us do was jumping rope. And uh, I just remember my legs like burning like crazy because it wasn't something that I was used to at first. Uh, but I... I always felt like powerful like I knew even when I was like hitting the bag or hitting the mitts that I had a lot of power and I just had to like refine it and uh the first time I ever sparred the coach was like well what the hell like you I, you've never sparred before like I can't believe it I can't believe it um because I, I actually like TKO'd the first guy that I sparred granted he wasn't very good they put me in with like a super low level guy, but I still TKO'd him in my very first bar session. You know, over the last year or so, it, it seems like you've taken boxing more seriously. You brought in BJ Flores, among others, to work with you. You went away to camp. The seriousness with which you've approached this sport, how has that evolved in the last year or so? Um, you know, with each fight I gained a little bit more confidence. And with each fight I realized how far I could take this even more and even more and even more. And I knew that the level of competition was going to go up with each fight. And so I had to rise to the occasion. Otherwise I would lose. And so I guess, you know, basically what that all centers around is not wanting to lose and be able to retire from this sport undefeated. And um, people, we're expecting me to lose. Like I have a lot of haters, right? Let's be, let's, you know, the elephant in the room, I'm very polarizing. So if people hate me, then they're still going to tune in to watch the fight, but they're going to get satisfaction if they see me lose. And I was just driven and motivated by that. Did you expect to be this polarizing among the boxing community? Because I work with Sergio Mora, former junior middleweight champion, who is, I mean, if we're being honest, very anti you what you and other YouTube people are doing in boxing. Do you expect to be this polarizing amongst that group of people? Um, I didn't know what to expect, you know, but I, I think more and more now people are seeing, you know, the, the good that I do for the sport and the positive impact that I'm bringing in, you know, you, you just have to put stuff in front of people's faces. Otherwise, they won't ever believe it. And I guess that's what I've done now. And that's what I'll continue to do is just show and show and show because actions speak way louder than words. And uh, yeah, I saw, I saw Sergio's uh, comments 
I believe this morning they came out or something that you guys were all like debating back and forth. And I was just like, this guy, I feel bad for him. You know, I, I've, I feel bad for his ignorance and the fact that he has to live with like uh, such a negative mindset, because when you take a look at all the fans that I'm bringing uh, and what, what I'm doing for women's boxing, you know, my, my charity, we just raised another million dollars for my charity to renovate gyms across the world uh, to get more kids involved in boxing and just bring a different audience this was a dying sport and people like mike tyson have said that they should be thanking uh you know people like me and my brother who are are innovating this whole entire thing and giving us awards so it is what it is um but i think the the crowd is slowly starting to turn well, I think there are a couple of things, and I said this to Sergio, and I've said this to others in the last few weeks and months. Number one, the people that are calling for you to fight a world champion kind of need to look back at their own records when they were only four or five in. I brought up Sergio's fights against guys like Warren Kronberger and guys that had no wins on their resume. So it's not like a guy five fights into his pro career should be fighting at a world championship level. The other, and you mentioned this, and it's true, is the visibility that you're bringing to other more, quote, traditional boxers. I've been a boxer reporter for some time. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't know who the hell Montana Love was before he fought on your undercard. I didn't. And he gets a win there, and that turns into a multi-fight deal with Matro. Amanda Serrano, you can't argue at this point that Serrano against Katie Taylor is going to be a bigger fight in large part because of the visibility that you've brought her. I'm not sure if that was your plan or not, but increasing the number of eyeballs on the more mainstream fighters in your card, I think that's been accomplished. No, for sure. That, you know, that's part of the plan. And that's why I created most valuable promotions is, you know, we're not just going to sign Amanda Serrano. We're going to shine a spotlight on as many fighters as possible and that's what this is about is it's not just about me it's about the trickle down effect of what this creates and the opportunity that this creates for people like Amanda Serrano who deserve it more than anyone in the world and what that is doing for women's boxing and getting them all paid more um, so and it's and it's all little things but I've only been really at this for 18 months so if this is what i've done in 18 months then where where is the roof here i, I see i don't see one uh and, and i have a saying on my mirror it says remember where you started now imagine how far you can go um so I, i'm just getting started with all of these things and you know a year or two from now uh, sergio your partner will be eating his own words by saying I, i'm not good for boxing and um, and I believe one day he will come up to me and shake my hand and apologize. Well, I said to him, there's probably going to be like a, a female problem bot at Serrano Taylor, which is only going to make, you know, that fight. That, that fight probably went from small room at MSG to big room in part because of the visibility Serrano got. I mean, Katie's got a lot of fans on her own. She's been a main eventer here in the U.S. Uh, and elsewhere before. But I'm just actually curious, why why was it Amanda Serrano that you chose to kind of embrace the way you did and make her the co-main on your last two fights? Yeah, I mean, this it's just about this right place, right time. And um, she's sort of been around since my first pro fight. So I've always like known who she was. And uh, we wanted her 
uh, to fight uh, on the undercard of Tyron Woodley. And we were chatting with her and I was like, hearing her tell these stories about how much she was getting paid and how she, you know, Manny Pacquiao is the only person to win more championships than her in different weight divisions. And I'm just like, wait, so Manny Pacquiao got, you know, made hundreds of millions of dollars off of fighting. And here Amanda Serrano is just as good as Manny Pacquiao on the female side of things. And she's getting paid 20,000, 30,000. I was like, this isn't right. What can we do to help here? This girl is a superstar and she's just super nice. And um, it was right when we were creating most valuable promotions. So it was just perfect timing. And Nikisa and I, my partner, most valuable promotions were like, yeah, this is, this is the, the perfect person to help here. The, the punch you hit Woodley with um, to knock him out, you know, uh, you cl- clearly heard from some boxing people, saw Clarissa Shields tweeted out that it was a lucky punch. Close your eyes and land that punch. What, what's your counter to that? Like, you know, I know Al Bernstein pointed out during the broadcast that there was real technique there. There was a feint, and there was going up over the top. From your perspective, like what went into that shot in particular? Yeah, so, you know, my rebuttal uh, to people saying that is I've done that to every single person I've fought. So uh, it's, it's not luck. I've knocked out everyone in violent fashion uh, in one way or another. And my power is only increasing. And I set up the shot. You watch the whole sequence. I fake. I see his hand come flying down. I fake again, go to the body, and then bring it up top with all my power and, uh, and brought my hips uh, through. And it, it's not lucky. Like, look at all the people that Tyron Woodley has been in there with, and he's never been KO'd like that. You've been a, a disruption in boxing, no question. Do you think you can be enough of a disruption to change boxing, to change the way it does business, which has not worked in terms of growing the sport? I think so. It's going to be really hard to change the business model of boxing, but I think at least what I'm showing is how someone can do it. And I think what I'm showing is these fighters don't necessarily have to build their records up to 20 and 0 or, or 25 and 0 before they can start to take on higher level, level opposition. You can go and do your eight round fights sooner. You can go and do six round fights sooner. Uh, you can perform on these bigger stages at, at a younger age because without boxers, you know, how long is, the, is, is their career going to be? Um, and, and how to self promote first and foremost. And these young kids need to, get on TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram stories and Twitter and be promoting themselves and not to rely on a promoter just to do that. You saw, you talked about how kind of careers can be shorter. How long do you really see your career in boxing going? You know, it's so, it's so interesting because at the beginning of the year, I was like, Oh, I'll go 10 and zero, and then retire. But in a blink of an eye, all of a sudden I'm five and oh, and it feels like I'm just, I, I feel like I just finished my rookie season and I just finished like chapter one of the book and there's so much more left to read. And I, I'm young, I'm motivated and uh, I'm only getting better and better and better. So it, it's weird to try and map it out, but I definitely want to, go undefeated and, and then retire. So whether that's 10 fights, 15 fights, um, 
we'll see, I guess. Is there a bucket list fight for you? I created a, I, I tweeted like my bucket list. It's like, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Tyson uh, is, is probably up there. I think that would be like the coolest thing in the world. Uh, and then I, I think Canelo is on there. And I think that could happen, you know, towards the, the end of my career when I'm sort of in peak physical condition and have all that experience under my belt. You think that's a good idea? I mean, <laughs> is biting off a lot than is biting off a Canelo type uh, type opponent. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I think it's probably one of the best ideas in boxing right now. Um, you know, I see this uh, Yildirim guy, and I bring up this example a lot, uh, the, the Turkish warrior uh, who goes in there and fights Canelo for like three rounds, doesn't throw a single punch, and then quits in the corner. Uh, and he, he's a world champion or whatever. But no, what, what he is, is he's someone who choked under the spotlight and couldn't perform. Uh, I, I'm built for the spotlight. And I'm most certainly am more powerful, faster, uh, and will be in better condition and have had the spotlight my whole entire life, more so than Yildirim in all those categories. Uh, so I know I can do better than that guy <laughs> for sure. And he... That he walked yeah, that away. That wouldn't from be hard. That wouldn't eight. be hard. To, that wouldn't be hard to do better than than Yildirim did uh, in that fight. You know, the the quote unquote more traditional boxers that are out there looking for fights with you, whether it is Tommy Fury, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., are those types of fighters in your future in 2022? Yeah, you know the the Julio Cesar Chavez or or I don't know is that how you say his name? Chavez Jr. Yeah, Chavez Jr. Uh, it, it's it's interesting. I like that fight a lot because it, it silences the critics. You know, he was a former world champion, and I know I could beat him. Um, so, and and if you look at his record, it's like fifty wins or something, and I don't even know the losses, but it's a good record. Uh, so that challenge excites me, and I'm I'm down. And this is what people don't understand. They say. Even after I knocked out Woodley, they were all like, Floyd, a real boxer. I'm like, you guys, I tried. And he dropped out of the fight two weeks before. So I, <laughs> I want to fight a real boxer, like newsflash. And I'm going to just have some fucking patience. And Tommy Fury was quick to, you know, take to the media and say he'll be ready to go whenever you're ready to go. Of course, you know, he wants the, he wants the payday. Uh, but, you know, I've said it before, I, I don't, want to take the fight with him he doesn't deserve it and uh I, i'd rather fight tyson you know I, I would want tyson to come down to cruiserweight and that would be a bigger fight uh so i'd rather fight tyson or or his dad his you know his dad uh john did a better job of promoting the fight than tommy did uh so i'll, I'll fight his brother or his dad before i fight tommy last question for you um I brought up at the top kind of the visibility you're creating for some of these other boxers. Do you see this most valuable promotions company outlasting your boxing career? Do you think you'll be a promoter, you know, as you get older and get away from getting in the ring? Yes, I will always be involved in the sport of boxing, uh, you know, whether I'm fighting or, or being a promoter. Uh, that's why the company is created. And I love this sport. I love it. 
I love going to fights. I, I love being in the locker room. I love seeing fighters train. I love going to boxing gyms and, and the smell of it. Like everything about it just uh, tickles my pickle, if you will. <laughs> and so uh, I will always be in this sport for sure. Well, Jay, congrats on the great year, man. You've uh, definitely taken boxing by storm in, in many different ways. And uh, looking forward to see when you got up your sleeve, both as a boxer and a promoter, hopefully earlier as a promoter, if we can get Taylor Serrano past the finish line. You think that's going to happen in April or May? I hope so. We are doing everything in our power, and it's looking really good. And it's going to be a massive, massive fight. So I'm excited for that one. And we're going to have a massive 2022 uh, you're going to see a lot of big things from me and you're going to see a lot of big things from Amanda Serrano. Well, between you, a potential female problem bot, uh, that should be an interesting uh, pre-fight buildup. That's uh, that's for sure. Uh, Jake, good to talk to you, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for your time today. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Dan Rayfield and Jake Paul for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.